0: Hello, welcome to today's episode of the UK Sports Chat podcast. I'm Joe Williams, hope you're all doing well. And in today's episode, I am speaking with Dr. Michael Crawley, author of Out of Thin Air. Uh, Michael is an anthropologist and writer. He was awarded a PhD in anthropology by the University of Edinburgh following funded research, living and training alongside runners in Ethiopia. Michael himself is a 220 marathon runner, has competed at national and international level and currently works as assistant professor in social anthropology at Durham University. Michael's new book, Out of Thin Air, Running Wisdom and Magic from Above the Clouds in Ethiopia, came out in the UK in November and also in the States last week. The book has been described by letsrun.com as the deepest exploration of Ethiopian distance running ever produced in the English language. Um, I really enjoyed chatting with Michael. Hope you all enjoy the interview. Uh, have a great week and see you soon in the next podcast. Hi, Michael. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. How are you? Um. Yeah, good. Thanks. Just... Um... Just settling into the newest lockdown and <laughs> trying to work out whether to go running in the snow later, basically,
0: yeah, have you got snow now?
1: yeah, we had more snow overnight um I thought uh, I thought we were in for some milder weather, but it seems to have come back, so
0: yeah, it was milder yesterday, so for um, listeners, it's Thursday morning we are recording now, and um it's quite mildy i'm I'm in Shropshire, but for snow is forecast tonight, so I think it must be making its way down from you to us.
1: Yeah, I always end up, I think every time there's been a new lockdown, I've kind of um, found it a bit difficult to motivate myself running-wise for a few days, and then it sort of, then I get back into it. But the, the weather's sort of put a stop to that just now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, cool. So, yeah, thank thank you for coming on. Um, it's going to be great to talk about the book, which um, out, out of Thin Air, which came out in November. Am I right?
1: Yeah, in November in the UK. It just came out in America a couple of days ago as well, so.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so um, so tell us, tell us about the book and and give us a little bit of an overview on your running as well. That'd be great.
1: Sure. So um, the book kind of came about because I was, um, I was kind of interested in how usually when we talk about um, runners from Ethiopia and Kenya and Uganda and uh, that part of the world, we we tend to refer to them as sort of East African runners and not as uh, we don't tend to know a vast amount about um, about how how things are different between the different countries, and even how how things are different within a country like Ethiopia. Yeah. I, I felt like a lot of the time when we say East African running, we actually really mean Kenyan running, just because um, Kenya is a much easier place to go and and do research and and to talk to people because most of the runners there speak English, and because E10 is quite a comfortable place to go and um, and stay and things. So I was really intrigued by trying to trying to see what was going on in Ethiopia basically and as an anthropologist that seemed really appealing as a as a project because what the way that anthropologists work is by going and sort of living with um the people that they're trying to understand uh so for me Mm. having having an excuse to go and live in Ethiopia for 15 months and learn Amharic and run with the with the athletes there was um was pretty appealing basically yes that's that's how it came about Okay, so
0: anthropology. I freshly googled this this morning. Michael is there <laughs> the study the study of aspects of humans within past and present societies. So, so what what was the primary aim with this this trip this uh, fifteen months you spent in Ethiopia? Was this because you're, you're a runner, you're a two twenty marathon runner, and you've competed you know at high, at high levels? What was this? for you as part of your running and why is it run quicker was this part of study part of your part of your job what what, what was the primary aim with it
1: uh i, th- I suppose it's a, a bit of everything it was technically my job in that i was you know the phd was funded re- research so um i was being paid for it but it was also you know obviously i was uh i uh, just really excited to go and be able to to run in such an amazing place uh for that amount yeah. of time it actually didn't do my running a huge amount of good just because I was trying to focus on on the research, I think, more than um more than anything. So the the time that most of the runners that I lived with were spending resting during the day, I was spending typing up notes and going off to interview people and, and things like that. Um yeah. but but basically the 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 yeah the research method involves um as far as possible living the same sort of life as the as the athletes were living. So uh, that was the the main thing. So I lived in a compound with with some runners um, from Moyo Sports Management, which is a um athlete management agency. Mm-hmm. And basically just tried to tried to follow their sort of rhythms of training and eating and recuperation and things like that as much as possible. Um mm-hmm. so that's the that's the anthropology side of things. That's the the research method is called ethnography, and it basically means um it it, it literally it means writing culture, but it basically means just trying to um trying to understand the world from the perspective of the people that you're um you're living with basically
0: okay cool so so it so it was your, it was your actual research for your phd then the, the trip.
1: yeah so I've, I've written a my phd thesis which is far more sort of the anthropological um side of things a bit more theoretical and then the book is very much kind of a separate project that tries to tell the story sort of of, of me going there and, and trying to find my feet and find my way into the kind of forests with the runners and get to know the um, the way that they trained and, and things. So it's a far more kind of accessible sort of personal sort of book, really, I suppose, that um, tells the story of how an anthropologist works as well as uh, tries to tell the story of um, a set of Ethiopian runners and, and also kind of give a bit of the history of Ethiopian running, but also try to bring to life some of the the. Sort of stories that um, uh, of of athletes, basically in in Ethiopia.
0: Okay. And before we dig in more into that, then j- just tell us a little bit about your running background.
1: Sure. Uh, yes, yeah, so I've I've been running since I was about um, fifteen, I think, um, probably even earlier than that. So my coach was actually joking the other day that he's because I'm I'm back in I, I grew up in Durham and then I've moved back um, recently um and i'm back training with my my coach who i used to be coached by when i was sort of 15 and he was he keeps joking that he's been coaching me for over half of my life and we still haven't quite got to where he thinks i'm capable of getting <laughs> with my running um i would run 220 for a marathon i think i can maybe run a couple of minutes quicker than that if the if the opportunity arises um i'd like to you know i would i would quite like to do that because i've run 22053 it's so close to that barrier that it would be a shame to to stop now but um see how it goes
0: yes yeah and have you um have you got a plan for that or you just well, obviously there's no events at the moment but is that something yeah, you'd like it's to hard be? to plan
1: um yeah I mean, I mean i would have run a marathon i probably would have tried to run a couple of marathons last year if it had been possible but um it's quite tricky when you can't you can't really put a plan together if you don't know when the races are going to come but yeah, just course. see how it goes mm-hmm
0: okay so so um back back to ethiopia then so how did you go about planning this how long did it take and yeah why ethiopia i know you touched on that but
1: um so i started planning the trip sort of 2014 i suppose 2014 2015 um and at the beginning of the phd i had sort of 6 months to to sort of read about it, as much as i could about um Ethiopia and the sort of literature on it and things. And then um, when I first went out, I lived with a French sociologist called Benoit Goudin. Um He kind of put me up in a um, in a sort of shed that he had in his garden um, for a while. And yeah. th- at that stage, I was kind of just going into the forest and um, and basically just going i went up to the forest the first day and started running and um a group of athletes kind of came and just sort of grabbed me and uh and took me along with them uh so it was quite easy really in ter- in terms of um get uh, having sort of access to the to the athletes and being able to talk to them and, and write about things uh, it turned out to be much easier than i would ex- expected because people were so keen on on this idea that you have to train together, so even when I was trying to run on my own people would would grab me and and sort of draw me into that group environment uh for training so um it it was quite an organic process really setting up the research in in that sense just because people were very keen on on making me part of things um, but then because I wanted to write about runners at all different levels of the sport i i um I then started working with the the athletes from the management agency who were at a slightly higher level than um mm-hmm. than the people that i just met sort of in the forest at the beginning because i want, yeah I, I wanted to be able to sort of look at the whole picture of, of ethiopian running rather than just sort of the very grassroots level or just the the very best um athletes
0: yeah
1: so, so whereabouts in ethiopia were you so i was in Addis ababa which is the for the most part which is the capital city um okay so in Ethiopia, it's quite different to to Kenya, where most athletes obviously live in in Iten or Kaptagat or the the kind of quite rural areas. In mm-hmm. Ethiopia, uh, you know most of the athletes are from um, from places like that, but once they get to a certain level, they move to the city. So it's um so I lived in a compound with a with a group of of runners from Moyosports. Sports, and um, we ran in the forest, which is just sort of uh, above. The city of Addis Ababa, you can um you can just get into the forest just by walking, um. But then three mornings a week, we would take a bus to go to um to places that were seen as particularly important for for running. So to Intoto, which is the mountain um, sort of higher up into the mountain, or we'd go to places to run um at slightly higher altitude, or we'd go to lower altitude to try and run fast. Um. But for, yeah, for the most part, the the sort of top athletes in Ethiopia all live in in Addis the capital which is um slightly different and then um I took trips basically out to to more rural training camps I went up to Gondar in the north of Ethiopia for a while I went to Bakoji which is where um Kenenita and Turanesh Baba and and, um a whole load of other top athletes are from just to see kind of where the um where the journey I suppose of being an Ethiopian athlete starts as well
0: yeah Um, okay and so, so on on that on that first run, you said that you went out into the you went out to the forest and you were grabbed by a by a group. Yeah. How I, did how did you react to that? Because I think if you're out running in the UK and someone grabs you, <laughs> it, it, you, you know, I, is that's the culture out there? Then is it? Is it?
1: Yeah. Well, I suppose I um, yeah, I, th- I think it's quite different to the in the UK context. Most people do most of their running on their own, I guess, and in Ethiopia it's it's really seen as quite antisocial to run on your own. Um, And I I really didn't mind because the whole point of me being there was to try to to meet runners and to try to, um, you know, talk to them about their running and everything. So it was great from that Mm -hmm. point. Uh, The problem was that I'd, uh, you know, only sort of 24 hours previously arrived from from the UK and hadn't adapted at all to the altitude yet. So uh, Mm -hmm. so trying to keep up with them at sort of two and a half thousand meters above sea level on the first day was quite... um, was obviously quite tricky but it was um it was great to be to be involved in that and that i think that's you know probably one of the biggest differences between uh ethiopia and and other parts of the world you know the, the really strong belief that you need to have a group around you um, in order to to you know to be successful as an athlete people would say you can go running on your own but that's just kind of to maintain your health if you want to be an athlete if you want to sort of be changed and and develop as an athlete you really need other people around you to do that so um Mm -hmm. yeah okay and
0: was that on that first day so you know what what sort of time were you getting up and 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 going out i'm just trying to picture what you what that first day looked like because uh, is there much of a time difference to ethiopia i don't think there is is it because it's
1: uh, it's about three hours usually but they yeah. there's a very different way of um so ethiopia is basically on the equator so it gets light at 6 a.m every morning and it gets dark at 6 p.m every night more or less mm-hmm. so as soon as basically as soon as the sun comes up people head to training so it's quite easy to sort of time get into the forest at the same time as other people um, yeah. just wake up with the sun and, and go to the forest and start running um we'd get up a lot earlier than that to go on the bus to get to to training on a monday a wednesday and a friday we'd normally get up about four thirty, in order to get to training before uh six o'clock um okay. but yeah i just sort of woke up and, and and wandered up into the forest and and it all started from from there really okay
0: and what and what uh, what session were they doing and what how quick were they Completely.
1: They weren't, yeah, were not running that fast actually in the so in the forests um it's it's difficult to run that fast in the forests around Addis because it's all it's very steep hillside and also quite sort of tightly packed eucalyptus trees so mm. the, the style of running in those forests is to sort of zigzag in and out of the trees and to um to run quite slowly but to kind of use the the hills to make sure that you're running um Sort of always on a camber or always slightly up and down hills, so that you're you're not kind of pounding your legs in the same way. So they would see um, that kind of forest running as being deliberately quite easy, as being a way of kind of massaging your legs and and aiding recovery uh, whilst developing aerobically, because obviously the altitude is very high. Um, but for the most part, it was quite easy to keep up on once i was acclimatized on those kinds of forest runs even with people who were running sort of 206 for a marathon um mm-hmm. often they would still do their their sort of easy running in the forest at like um you know four thirty per kilometer five minutes per kilometer sort of pace mm-hmm. so uh there was a v- very much this sense that you train very easy on the easy days and then you know when you wanted when you were going to run hard you're going to run really hard and 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 sort of have that differentiation between the two kinds of training
0: yes how 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 was it adapting to the altitude
1: um you know that first day compared to 12 months along uh pretty difficult um it it took me quite a while i don't think i um i don't think i adapt i don't think altitude was that good for me you know you know how people kind of um have varying levels of uh adaptability to altitude in terms of how much it improves their their running um mm-hmm. i never felt like it was that good for for my running actually um and it took me a, yeah. week, really a while to acclimatize to it um so i came back a couple of times to the uk uh in the course of the 15 months and i went to a race in china and things like that as well um and whenever i was away for a week or or something and then came back it was sort of you kind of have to start from scratch again building up the acclimatization and things okay uh, but yeah
0: so um what what does a, a a training week look like then with the um you know with the with the groups that you were running with
1: so the the group I was with we did um Monday morning we would go to um a sort of rough road uh, trail so a, a surface that's known as Korokonch in Amharic um which i think is a great word it kind of it basically sounds exactly like the noise of of, of feet on the on the on the ground there's, there's yeah. basically kind of um roads made of kind of stone and gravel um yeah. and we would do sort of somewhere between 25 and 35 kilometers normally um on quite hilly uh routes on, on Coraconch on a monday and then a wednesday morning would be a speed session where um we'd either go to a track or we'd uh, go to Something like a really big field somewhere, um, and those sessions were normally something like um, uh, one minute hard, two minute hard, two minutes hard, three minutes hard, uh, times six or something like that. Um, so usually just on the watch, and people would, but people would really kind of uh, try to compete in those sessions and try to really run extremely hard on the Wednesday mornings. That was like the one day that they were allowed to just run as hard as they wanted um the other days it was normally the coach was quite keen on getting making sure that they were quite controlled with the training and then on a friday we'd go to um friday was the only day that we would ever go and run on the road so that was uh, referred to as asphalt training we'd go to either a very flat road down in a place called sebeta or we'd go to a sort of rolling very hilly road um in a place called sendafa and they were places where uh you'd have a kind of kilometer marker on the road uh, a white post that marked each kilometer and people would know basically how fast the top athletes could run 20 kilometers uh on a particular stretch of road so you'd, that would be the kind of really objective session where people would really be able to compare themselves and their fitness to other people really well um mm-hmm. but there was definitely a sense that you know you had those three very hard sessions and then apart from that the rest of the week was about kind of this different kind of running which was about recuperation and about um sort of exploring the forest in in some way and and try to keep things a bit more interesting and and creative with the running so we'd run you know right up into places where you'd uh you'd really need to sort of almost be on your hands and knees to pull yourself up up some of the slopes that we ran up and and things like that so it was kind of a bit more of a kind of creative and, and playful form of training in many ways which i think we would not normally associate with such high performance um sport you know it would that kind of yeah. really more resembles trail running in many ways i think
0: yeah it's really interesting you say that and, and just just listening to you saying this it's quite it's quite common for i think especially new runners to, to go out and just run the same pace all the time and try and just go a bit further and hopefully that's getting your fitness up but um, it's the quality, isn't it? And uh, in what you're saying, so you've got that one really well. You've got those three hard session, one which is completely flat out, and then the rest is fun and um, you know playing with it, like you say.
1: Yeah, and I think people people really kind of had to learn that slowness as well. It was seen as like that was seen as a skill as much as running fast was to to learn to to go and run, mm. you know, as slow as ten eleven minute miling in the forest sometimes. They, you needed to, that was part of learning to be a, a top athlete, was learning when you needed to, to go out and just take it really easy, basically.
0: Yeah. So if you're, yeah, you, and you quotes 10 and 11 minute mile in there. So if you your running hobbyist who perhaps runs a 10 minute mile for a marathon, that that to them, taking that lesson and putting that into their training is, you know, t- is slowing right down to, 13 minutes maybe even 14 minutes you know um which some people like you said find very very difficult to do because it's because of the the pace
1: yeah and that's that's kind of why where the the forest comes into it as well they use that kind of environment in order Mm -hmm. to make them run slower you know you can't it's a way of making sure that they don't overtrain. really in some ways that they're going to a place where it's the environment itself kind of dictates the pace that they're running um, and yeah. keeps it quite easy because they're constantly having to sort of stop and turn back because the forest is too, you know, there's too many branches or something like that. Or it, It's it deliberately yeah. or, or like looking for farmer's fields that are covered in stones or that are kind of roughly plowed so that they're kind of almost doing kind of plyometric style exercises to get across the field, you know, looking for things that break up the monotony of, of what, can otherwise be quite monotonous when you're training that you know running that much yeah so
0: um th- you mentioned the important places to run C- can you give us an example of, of of one of those uh
1: yeah so um in toto is the the mountain sort of um just behind Addis Ababa basically so that that was seen as a really important place to go just because you could run very slowly up there but but the altitude was so high you could run up to about three thousand two hundred meters above sea level there um which is which was seen as just basically a way of going and and uh benefiting from the the higher altitude and the sort of higher number of red blood cells that your body would produce as a result of being up there so that was seen as quite important um for that reason but also the the mountain was important for other reasons it has a a lot of churches up there and it's seen as quite a sort of sacred place in many ways. It's also where Haile Gebrselassie is really associated with Intoto as it being a place that he always trained. So people saw that as an, as an important place to go. Mm -hmm. And then they would go to on other, so they would, not so much the importance of particular places, but the importance of kind of having a balance between different training locations. So they would go up to Intoto on one day and then, um, take the bus for an hour and a half to go to Akaki the next day which was the lowest place that we were able to get to to train which which was about 2100 meters maybe above sea level and that was much you know the temperature change between those two places even though they're both a bus ride from Addis is you know between something like 10 and 15 degrees so you're able to go from you're able to lose a thousand meters of altitude but also have you're suddenly in this quite hot environment with the red dust roads and um mm-hmm. and that was some, seen as being really um the place to go to run quickly uh because it was hot so it was about connecting different kinds of training to different places i suppose yeah
0: and uh, did you and did you stick with the same group of people predominantly in your time there or yes yeah, so I... places but
1: so, um, yeah, I, there was, you know, I was mainly with the Moyo Sports Group just because I wanted to make sure that I was um, kind of forming the friendships and, and the relationships with those guys to the extent that I'd be able to really write about about their lives in detail. But then obviously I met loads of other people along the way that also sort of make their way into the book. Um, mm-hmm. But it is mainly, it's it's kind of mainly a book about Amhara runners, which is there's like several different. Um, ethnic groups um, mm-hmm. that produce runners in Ethiopia so there's some runners from uh, Tigray some from Aromia and then my my book is mainly about Amhara runners just because I Amharic was the, the language that I learned and um, okay and so it, it's kind of what mainly about that particular group of people
0: that that was a question I was going to ask how, how you know how did you find communicating and, and language but you, you learned the local language
1: I did. I think I I probably speak quite a um, running specific version of Amharic. uh, (laughs) So it's like, I can, I'm very good at chatting about races and about training times and places and things like that. But um, it's, you know, because I I mainly learned the language through hanging out with runners. I'm good at talking about um, politics or things, you know, (laughs) things. Yeah,
0: it makes sense. (laughs)
1: Uh, So what, what did, um, what did the rest of the
0: of the day look like in a typical training week? Then, so how how much of the of the time you know was spent resting? Do they incorporate strength training in? What what does the rest of it look like?
1: Um, so for for the most part, we'd go uh, go running in the morning first thing, then sort of f- spend most of the day just around the compound. Really, people spent a lot of time. Uh, washing running kit and running shoes and, and things like that and hanging stuff up to dry in the sun and just chatting about running basically for mm-hmm. long periods of the day but also trying to sleep as well so people would you know if they were training really hard sometimes people would sleep for most of the day really between the first training session and the, the second training session yeah. and then um apart from that just spending time kind of cooking and and, and stuff like that occasionally we go play pool and and things to relax we'll go watch football matches in um and stuff but people really people were quite keen on this idea that you you needed to minimize any anything that was um going to be detrimental to your running so they they referred to that as doing laps um if you were going to you know going to do chores going to buy food going to um visit people and things that was uh they'd call that zur in amharic which literally means laps and they were basically to be avoided if you weren't running around a track <laughs> if possible yeah, right <laughs> yeah.
0: and and you you mentioned this at the beginning then so to you, so use you, how much of your time you you know you spent interviewing and researching and, and and doing the bits for your for your phd
1: uh so yeah i tried to I tried to do so, uh, you know, an interview every day if I could with someone where I really tried to get into depth about um, about their running and their sort of how they managed to get to Addis Ababa and the kind of trajectory of of their running lives and things. But it was I was always trying to trying to schedule that kind of thing in a way that wasn't going to interrupt their training. So it was kind of quite a tricky balance in in some ways. Um, yeah. But I managed to interview you know a variety of other people. Wami Baratu being the most interesting. He was the um, runner who was supposed to go to the 1960 Olympics um, instead of Abebe Bikila, but he got ill the week before, um, and Bikila went instead, and obviously won the Olympic marathon barefoot and kind of started the whole um, sort of Ethiopian running tradition, I suppose, in many ways. Um, so I managed yeah. I did manage to talk to some some of the the kind of older figures yeah. in, in Ethiopian running as well, which is really interesting.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um have any of those runners and people that you that you were training with come through since you since you were with them, you know, on a on a world stage and so anyone who stands out? Uh the
1: the one who really stands out is Jamal Yimmer, um, who I kind of I I met him when he'd first moved to, to Addis from a training camp. Um and he was he kind of turned up for an interview in just wearing the Ethiopian national team kit that he he'd been given um cuz he went for his first race abroad in in Durban for the African Championships mm-hmm. and he was uh so he he I kind of met him right at the beginning of his um his sort of time when he was running internationally at least and he's gone on to break the Ethiopian record and run 58 33 for a half um so he's yeah right. in, in the sort of last four years he's really he's been amazing and incredibly consistent in half marathon he's run under 60 minutes pretty much every time he's run um Uh, an amazing athlete and i was really kind of um looking forward to his marathon debut which he made in valencia in december but unfortunately he tripped at the drink station at 5k um and hurt himself so he's we're still kind of waiting to see what what his marathon debut is gonna look like when he um when hopefully there's a there's a race on um, this year for him. Yeah. 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 Have, have you, have you took, um,
0: sorry, uh, uh, let me ask that again. How, how does you, how does, or how will your training differ now compared to, you know, bef- before you went or,
1: you know, how's, how has that changed and evolved? Um, well, I think the, the main thing that you can sort of take from the Ethiopian approach is trying to sort of, um trying to just keep things as interesting as possible, I guess. So yeah. trying to, um, so I would, in in um, Edinburgh, when I kind of got back from, from Ethiopia the first time and I was a bit just a, sort of a little bit disillusioned with my own running just because I'd spent so long with a group of people who were so much better than I was. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of tried to get myself interested again. I asked um, Haile, my friend, to write me a training program, uh, a sort of Ethiopian-style training program to use in the UK. And basically, what it meant was the, the sort of places that I could find to replicate the Ethiopian way of um, of training were basically the golf courses around Edinburgh. That so, um, yeah. I ended up doing all this kind of zigzag running around the golf courses, which I really loved, um, and which were brilliant in the first lockdown when golf wasn't allowed. <laughs> but the, yeah, and then also going to Arthur's Seat a lot more and just and basically just incorporating a load of really hilly, really sort of trail running. Um, Mm-hmm. into into what i was doing but the other thing that i think is important is that people you know in ethiopia they really kind of approach certain training sessions in this way that made the made the running seem kind of like an adventure or like some kind of um i don't know like a an excursion or something something like that that was more exciting than just a training session so they would talk about it for a couple of days in advance and really kind of build it up um yeah. and that and in ethiopia that would that would normally involve something like getting up at three in the morning to go and run up and down a hill um, because you, uh, to avoid traffic, but also just to make it a bit more exciting, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't do, I, my daughter was born shortly after I got back and, you know, we were uh, losing enough sleep anyway. So I didn't do a huge amount of the running at three o'clock in the morning thing, but but just, <laughs> you know, trying to have a bit more um, variety in, in your training, I think. Yeah. Um, so there are certain sessions that i've that i do do here that um that i didn't do before like what the session that they call uh Regim dagger which means uh long hills um mm-hmm. where you just get you basically find a long hill and run up and down it for an hour um and the idea is not is you run at a continuous pace you don't it's not like you sprint up and then jog down but you just kind of um run up and down a hill for for an hour at a steady pace and that seems to be really effective at building strength and things. So mm-hmm. that's that's the sort of things, particularly training sessions I, I do now that I didn't do before.
0: Yeah. And it, just as you were telling that, I would I had a big smile on my face, imagining you're running through the uh through the different holes on the golf course as people are playing golf. But it's um like you say, it, it's um a more interesting and uh way to train. Like you say, I said earlier, it takes the way, it's, what can sometimes be monotonous. It's um and then it, to it, train.
1: unfortunately, yeah. I've not been able to find it in. It's hard to get a group together um, with, you know, since lockdowns happened and, and things like that. But the other thing is just try to make make running sociable as, as far as possible. I guess that, that's that's the other thing that comes out of the Ethiopian uh, way yeah. of doing it. Well, one other question there before, I went, before we wrap
0: up is, Did uh, which of the local animals did you meet when you were out there? Did you come across <laughs> any when you were out running?
1: Um, met quite a few hyenas uh so they were um well not so much met them saw them um and people would so there was you know running in the forest you're not actually a hundred percent top of the food chain i in in the way that you are in in the uk i suppose so there's always that slight element of danger that you might run into a hyena and um the way that my friend put it was that i asked him if it was dangerous and he said well you know most hyenas you meet them and they just run away but you do they're just like people you get the occasional crazy one um so you've got so the, and the there were stories that you know a couple several runners a year supposedly are killed by heinous um as from what yeah. people say so it, there, yeah you have to be a little bit um a little bit careful and that was so one of the especially um difficult runs that i went on which was like a three-hour run through the forest um mm-hmm. where i was just really exhausted and a bit stroppy with the with the guys who were, who were leading this run um i try i was like look i'm gonna i'm gonna head back i'm just i'm too tired and they were like no no you can't because the you know there's hyenas too many hyenas around here so um, also yeah. part of the incentive for keeping up with the group as well
0: yes <laughs> wow <laughs> i i've i've been to africa once so it's kenya and that was on safari and them. Um, we actually saw just after lions had um had had killed and they were feeding and yeah. um, and a, and and the large male lion all of a sudden it was all it was all quiet, and you couldn 't really see a huge amount and this um, the the big male lion jumped up, and what you couldn 't see there was a there must have been about ten hyenas all sneaking around trying to come and pinch it, and all of a sudden these hyenas just ran. It was like wow, what an amazing moment! But they're um...
1: they're bigger than you expect. I mean, uh, yeah. I've seen them in documentaries and things, and they because they're often pictured next to a lion, they don't look very big, but they're they're actually they're pretty big things. Yeah, yeah, yeah they
0: are. <laughs> right, well, thanks, th- thanks ever so much for coming on and um, and and talking to us today. How about uh your you trip to Ethiopia. The book's called Out of Thin Air. I how can people connect with you, um, your social channels and, and tell us where where we can get the book?
1: Uh, I'm at MPH Crawley on Twitter. Um the yeah. where can you buy the book? Well, uh if the bookshops are open, it's you can buy it in Waterstones. Um yeah. it's uh on Amazon obviously. Yeah. Uh should be um I mean I always try to encourage people to buy it from independent bookshops if you can, if they're mm-hmm. selling selling stuff online at the moment. But um yeah, hopefully we'll be out of lockdown soon and people will be able to go out and get it from the Yeah. Book.
0: And also I've um I've downloaded it on Audible. I know that a lot of um a lot of people like to listen to books as they run as well. So um it's also available on Audible. Yeah. 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 Great. Uh, Michael, thanks ever so much for coming on. It's been great, great chatting.
1: Thank you very much.